0: From 90.1 WFYI Public Radio, welcome to the Art of the Matter. Made possible by the ongoing support of listeners like you. And from the Palladium at the Center for the Performing Arts. The music for today's show is courtesy of the Buscelli Wallarab Jazz Orchestra from their Heart and Soul album. Available on iTunes.
1: Welcome to The Art of the Matter. I'm Sharon Gamble. This week, an art fair, an early music festival, and a night in India. And don't forget, we'll have that arts calendar we call... What What Do We do? Do? You won't want to miss a word right after the latest news from NPR. Welcome back to the Art of the Matter from 90.1 WFYI Public Radio. I'm Sharon Gamble. On today's program, we make reeds with Rocky Bassoon. But first, Crumbhorn, cornemuse, Shawm, Racket hurdy-gurdy, sackbutt, viola da gamba. Nope, they aren't characters from Game of Thrones. They're early music instruments, and you can hear people at the top of their game perform them this summer at our country's longest-tenured early music festival right here in Indianapolis. I didn't have to look far for someone to tell me about the 51st Indianapolis Early Music Festival. My WFYI colleague Lolly Ramey serves on the
2: board of the not-for-profit that puts on the event.
1: What do we mean by early music?
2: A good one, because a lot of people would not have an understanding of that. Early music, in air quotes, would typically refer to music composed before 1800. So the instruments are different. The sound of those instruments is different. Um, The orchestration can be different, but early music is its own category of Classical music. Uh-huh.
1: Tell me about your
2: favorite instrument or instruments, oh, early music Gosh, instrument. I adore the lute. I adore—Ron McFarlane is a lutenist who has been here in years past, and I could just sit and listen to the lute, which uh, the listeners may or may not know. The lute is a large instrument that probably would be related to the guitar— um, many of the lutes have a big watermelon kind of a belly, and the lute is a plucked instrument, like a guitar would be. Very delicate sound. Yeah. And. Um, That's a great description. Watermelon shaped and sized, kind of. And and they're even referred to some of them. I have an antique one that is a watermelon body. Do you play? No.
1: Have you tried? Mm, uh, <laughs> I, I won't
2: claim to. We <laughs> We won't. We won't
1: make you play during this interview. Oh, no no, <laughs> no,
2: no, 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 no. No, 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 not that. But it has a lovely sound if you like the guitar or a... I, I think the lute has to be my favorite of all. The We have a voice coming in for this particular summer that absolutely makes me melt. Just that. That is a young man named Michael Slattery. He was here once before... And being a singer myself, I would really examine his sound. It's so pure. There's absolutely nothing that he creates. He just sings. And he's, I wouldn't say he's an Irish tenor, but he is Irish and he's a tenor. Mm -hmm. And he will be here uh, July the 7th with a group called La Neff, I can hardly wait for that concert. So what is, it, what is it that led you from more,
1: no offense, but more mainstream, mm-hmm. slightly more modern classical music
2: to early music? What was, what was the path you took? Do you remember? I would describe it as feelings. The sound of early music to me can just get into your soul as classical music in, in the, the sense that you're referring to, but to sit and listen to the acoustic sound of early music, whether it's the lute that I love or it may be an ensemble that includes um, July the 16th, we have pifaro. They have brass instruments. It, what took me to early music? good question. I like the feelings that it elicits because it can be very peaceful. It can be exciting. It can be uplifting. But the difference in the instruments is so profound that it just kind of takes me into a different mental state almost. Mm. It's almost meditative in some cases.
1: Boy, you can't ask much more for an art form than that, can you? Uh, mm -hmm, You're right. Mm -hmm. Um, For people who, who like Action films uh, I, I, think, I think your first concert of the season is, is a can't miss.
2: Let's talk about Hesperus.: Oh, this is going to be a great concert. and the date on this is July tw- uh, sorry, June 23rd. That would be a Friday night concert, and it is, as always, at the Indiana History Center. Hesperus has a program where they play the soundtrack to the black-and-white early movie called The Three Musketeers. And the advertising picture is a picture of musketeers dressed in the attire with the big hats with the feathers on them and raising their swords to the sky. All
1: for one and one for all. Exactly. the film will actually be screened?
2: I think they're going to have the the film, and they play the and Hesperus plays the soundtrack How to it. How
1: fun that mm-hmm. that's that's become kind of a thing for contemporary orchestras. The mm-hmm. ISO mm-hmm. and the Indianapolis Chamber Orchestra have both done that kind of regularly, yes. and so it's fun to see an early music uh, iteration of that. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: the Peabody Consort is you're, you're presenting a, a family oriented concert by a consort. That's right. <laughs> on that's June right. 24th, what makes it family oriented?
2: Oh, it's First of all, it's a Saturday morning. It is, again, at the Indiana History Center, right down there, downtown, on the canal. And it is a free concert. Uh Aha! It is inviting families to come. And with each of the concerts in this series, there is a reception following the concert. You are invited to join with the guest artists who are coming to play. And on the Saturday morning just the fact that it's free. It is a daytime. It is a time when you can bring your children. Come in and look at these instruments. I think it's a fabulous way to introduce early music to little children or to younger people, because it is free. And what an exposure to an art form that if we're not careful, as you know, Sharon, it'll be lost if we don't train the next generation's
1: Festival Music Society board member and WFYI radio colleague Lolly Ramey. You can hear the 51st Indianapolis Early Music Festival at the Indiana History Center from June 23rd through July 16th. Ticket info for these family-friendly concerts is at IEMusic.org. And here's a preview of the kind of music you'll hear. You're tuned to The Art of the Matter on 90.1 WFYI Public Radio. Ceramicist Gail Hurley and mixed-media artist Sue Christensen want you to come to the Talbot Street Art Fair. For more than six decades, the two-day event that wraps around Heron High School, the former campus of Heron School of Art, has provided handmade goods of all kinds to in-the-know shoppers. It's a great place for people watching, too, as Gail and Sue shared with me. Talbot Street Art Fair, this is the sixtieth or 64th first year? It'll be the 62nd year. 62nd year. That's amazing. That is a long, long run. And always been free. Always. Always. We pride ourselves on that. And why is that? i'm lo- I'm looking
4: well, I at guess it too. started out just because we wanted to attract people to come and see art and I don't think anyone was going to pay to do that <laughs> <laughs> to be perfectly honest and then it just became a tradition and as other fairs loomed up and they started charging money, I think we decided that we would be free so that everybody could be. Exposed to the good art in our city.
1: Yeah, and what what I like about it, it reminds me of two two other great art fairs in states on either side of us. It reminds me a little bit of the um, the art fair in the first first week of October in Louisville, and a little bit of the big art fairs in uh, Ann Arbor. In that, it takes place on on city streets that are closed down, and that creates a, a whole different atmosphere than if it's on the grounds of. As the Penrod Arts Fair is on the museum grounds, or in some place more contained, um, how is that? As a working artist, do you tell me about the atmosphere. What what's attractive to you about that?
4: Well, I think we've both done St. James Court, which I think you're referring to, That's as far the one, as the yeah. one in uh, Louisville is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it it attracts a different crowd of people in some instances. People who are generally interested, and it's and it becomes not just which in many cases for the paid fairs, we, I sometimes think that we're wallpaper, that it, it's a social <laughs> event, that people come mm. for the social event more than they come to look at the art. Mm-hmm. And I don't get that feeling at Talbot Street. I think at Talbot Street, people come to really view the art. They're coming I, to see something that they haven't seen before.
3: And it brings people downtown. I think that it's nice that one thing I think, to, because I've done Penrod and Broad Ripple, and they're both very, you know, very good quality fairs. Sure but in pouring rain our customers still come the people come out because it is on a street it's not muddy grounds it's a sea of umbrellas which i it's <laughs> it's fun to view all the colors and things but um and i think because it is free it just fills up the streets and there's it's a very fam, family friendly event
4: mm-hmm. i think also that we're not competing with other things like penrod has all the other entertainment at talbot the artist is the entertainment and i think that's people right. pay to go to penrod and maybe not so much to see the artists as they are to see the symphony and the ballet and the, everything else that's available there well at talbot street the focus is on the artists and i think the artists who participate really appreciate that absolutely I do too.
1: absolutely and there there is the the little side attraction of the, your neighbors uh, around the art fair take advantage and sometimes put their own art out in their front yard or do a yard sale or lots of times they just sit on their front porch and and get some people watching in, right? That's and the right. Harrison
4: Center too. You know, they've on Saturday they have a little event that sort of ties in with our event, and we're kind of happy that that makes it a little more festive. Yeah, right.
2: So
1: I want each of you to answer this. And Gail, I'm going to start with you. Do you make work explicitly for uh, what you feel is the audience for Talbot Street Art Fair, or do you just take a selection of work that you were making anyway?
3: Actually, a little both because I do have a style that I make. You know, for any art fair I go to. But then I try to focus on what, you know, in the Midwest, um, what people would be interested in. For example? Um, I do a lot of garden art. And so um, I focus on, you know, certain things um, that would look nice here versus when I travel to Colorado, um, I may not be able to sell fountains there because it's so dry. And here I do a lot of fountains and a lot of... um, for inside and outside. So... It's a little bit of both. Yeah, that
1: makes sense. Uh, And, Sue, do you do, you've done, how many years have you? I'm probably the oldest exhibitor at
4: the Talbot Street. You started when you were very young. Oh, yeah, I was a baby. I had my pacifier in my mouth as I was trying to talk to customers. Uh, I know I just do whatever I'm doing and then drag it all out there. (laughs) And currently I'm doing something interesting. I'm doing jewelry using driftwood. I've rented a cottage up on Lake Michigan near the Indiana Dunes, and the driftwood up there is so beautiful that I've decided to make some jewelry out of it, so that's what I'm doing.
1: Can't wait to see that.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Along with other things, too, because I am really a a 2D visual artist, but I like to experiment in other things also, and jewelry, that's one of them.
1: Meet artists Sue Christensen and Gail Hurley, plus more than 260 other artists at the 62nd Talbot Street Art Fair on Talbot Street from 16th to 20th Streets. Heads up on the dates. This year, the event is one week later than usual. It's on Saturday and Sunday, June 17th and 18th. You can find out more at TalbotStreet.org. That's Talbot with one T at the end. You're listening to The Art of the Matter on 90.1 WFYI Public Radio. I'm Sharon Gamble, and later this hour, the great jazz bassist Christian McBride gets personal. But first, Eat Drink Indies. Jolene Ketzenberger talks with Oakley's Bistro owner Steve Oakley about making mincemeat of celeb chef Bobby Flay on a recent Beat Bobby Flay.
5: So tell me about the process of getting on... Beat Bobby Flay. How did it all start? Do they reach out? Do you reach out?
6: They they reached out uh, probably about a year and a half ago. Oh my gosh! And um, I was set up to, you know, then you go through a process, an interview process. There's probably four or five Skype interviews. There's recipes. Okay. You got a, I mean, it's a it's a long process. It's not a, um, you know, an hour interview and then you then, <laughs> and then you, you're then, on, then right? Then you're done. <laughs> yeah. It, it, there's probably at least twenty to thirty hours of.
7: Of talking?
5: Of,
6: of talking and and recipe okay. development, sending things in and pictures and what
5: did they ask um, you? What did they want to know about you and your food?
6: Well, I think they were they're really searching for an, an idea or a thought or or some a different angle to what they already have done, you know. So after submitting dishes that I thought about like what would I challenge them with? Right. You know, things like my grandma's pierogi or you know, duck all around or th- or different things, because, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of the show. I watch the show a lot. Uh-huh. And, you know, so I submitted those. And they come back and they say, those, those are all really cool things, but what's this shrimp corn dog you do oh no like, from
5: your menu yeah right? from our
6: menu and from obviously <laughs> pictures on facebook because right? they take over all your social media look at all that stuff oh do
5: they really uh-huh.
6: so as as they dug deeper they're like what are these corn dogs they seem to be a fan favorite and, and they, popular. Are. They, they, they are they are they very they they are and i said i'm thinking of myself as a chef that's worked in Five star restaurants and had a restaurant I'm like right. I don't want to be known for <laughs> shrimp corn dog on national television, but they thought it was a great idea. It fit the theme of midwestern chef, right?
5: The whole corned corn dog you kind know. of thing, right? Um, and then
6: no guarantees of of winning, but it had a good story. And 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 the story was you know um, you know always going to the fair growing up, whether it's here in Indianapolis or in the northern uh, part of the state that I grew up in. Um, it kind of fit the theme, so. Okay, like, I'm
5: seeing it. Yeah, right? they're
6: like, this this is a great dish, but you can't just put a shrimp on a stick and,
5: <laughs> and batter it, and, and, batter and, it right.
6: and go. And even though the batter's homemade with fresh corn grated into it, da 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 da, I said, you need to do something else. And I'm thinking, uh-huh. oh boy, what else can I do? So <laughs> right? I started playing around with just making the own shrimp sausage just to resemble it, you know. Sure. And uh, after a few test trials and came up with it, submitted it again. Oh my gosh. You know, they said, okay. And wow. they said, well, we'll be back in touch with you. It's pretty short and sweet with them, you know. Oh, is and it once they decide? Once they decide.
5: So you got through that, that first challenge, and and they liked yep. it. So that's yep. how you get to be up against Bobby Flick. Yep.
6: I got through the first challenge, and we get to the secret ingredient, and you're standing there in the middle of the room, and they got this camera just whipping around your head because they're like, just stay still. For a few minutes, we have to get camera shots, you know. So it's, it's a process. And um, then you reveal your secret ingredient, and uh, <laughs> I think the look on his face was. And
5: it was good. So when, priceless. You, when you said you, that you the guys had, you guys said we're going to make the seafood corn dog. Right. I think he. I think he was. I think he was a little, little surprised and taken aback.
6: He was uh, quite taken aback. But you <laughs> I don't know, think. He's... I don't
5: think you've seen a seafood corn dog on one of those shows before. I'm just I, saying. No, I don't I, I think. have. You have. I, don't,
6: <laughs> I don't think you probably ever will <laughs> again. But uh, you know, I mean, here's an Iron Chef guy. He's got to be able to figure this out, right? Uh, sure. I mean, that's when you when you're thinking about a dish to present him or, or to come a, come across him. I'm like, you know, what do you? How do you how do you beat this guy? And, well, I don't know. His know.
5: uh his seafood corn dog didn't look all that good. I just you know, <laughs> you you had it all over him on the seafood corn dog thing. Yeah.
6: <laughs> At one point I walked over and you know, his he had a sauce that was burning. Oh, and, that's right. Uh, yeah, so he burned his tangerine glaze or whatever <laughs> he was making. Um, you know, just it 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 was it was friendly Competitive. Was uh, it was it friendly? Is, is he
5: is he a nice guy?
6: Very cool guy. You know, I mean, he, I think he gets a bad rap uh, sometimes, um, but he's fantastic.
1: You can hear Jolene Ketzenberger's Eat, Drink, Indie Saturday mornings at eleven on WFYI HD two, The Point. You're tuned to the Art of the Matter on ninety point one WFYI Public Radio. NPR's Jazz Night in America is saluting the career of Indianapolis-born composer, vibraphonist, and jazz educator Gary Burton. The show taped his final performance before retiring and plans to air it this summer. And WFYI's Jill Dittmeyer is here to tell us more.
7: Gary's last show was at the Indianapolis Jazz Kitchen in March. And a few days before that, I talked on the phone with Jazz Night host Christian McBride about Gary's long and versatile career and his retirement.
8: I'm not going to believe it. (laughs)
7: because i didn't think musicians ever really retired
8: me either i mean you know i I, see first of all gary is much too great of a musician i think what's going to happen he's going to he's going to stay at home for about six months and then all of a sudden he's going to start itching to get back on the vibes and he's going to say what have i done let me go let me go back out and book a tour (laughs) you're
7: probably correct in that
8: come on gary don't leave us
7: we need you Help educate our viewers a little bit that maybe aren't as uh, as knowledgeable about Gary. He is a, a vibraphonist and plays the vibraphone. What is that instrument?
8: Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked that question because you have to start with explaining of just what it is. It's uh, for now just to make it a little oversimplistic. This is really bad, but this will at least give the 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 layperson some reference. It's sort of like the xylophone. With a, with a pedal on it, <laughs> with uh-huh. a sustained pedal. Um, you know, people see the vibraphone in, in, in uh, clubs or in performances, and they go, oh, he plays the, uh, you know, the bells. And then you sit there and you just go, oh, Jesus. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, the official name of that wonderful percussion instrument uh, with these tuned bars uh, that sustain uh, and make these sort of uh, – Airborne, these beautiful airborne sounds uh, is the vibraphone, and when you look at the the list of, of virtuoso vibraphonists in the history of jazz, the, the the list isn't nearly as long as it would be for trumpet or saxophone or piano or bass or drums. Uh, it's a short list. So Gary Burton is one of the, uh, he's easily on the Mount Rushmore of uh, legendary vibraphonists.
7: Well, and I understand that he he was self-taught on it for one thing, yes. and he also changed it from a a four mallet to a two mallet, or two well, mallet the other to way a around four Okay, one, yeah, he one went other from way or two the to other. four,
8: yes. And uh,
7: why is that important, and and how does that make the the sound different?
8: When Gary Burton came along, uh, in sort of the post-Bop era uh, of the late 1950s and early 1960s. Uh, into the dawn of the fusion era, uh, Gary Burton was able to, uh, from a technical standpoint, take two mallets of just playing two notes at a time to starting this technique of playing four mallets um, and being able to have more colors. You know, he could actually play single-note lines with four mallets in his hand. It's it's, it's uh, very—you almost— you almost can't believe it, even when you do see it, you know, here's a man with two sticks in each hand, but he's playing one note at a time. And then at some point you might hear, Hey, 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 where'd that extra note come from? You know, uh, you know, he can almost sound like two people playing at the same time. And then he can play these four note chords the same way a pianist can, you know? So, uh, Gary Burton was a, a, a very, very much a groundbreaking technician in that regard.
7: I also know he he has done a lot as a groundbreaker as well when it comes to the whole jazz fusion kind of thing too. Yes, he was. He,
8: he, 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 he's always been very very open to everything that's going on around him. And you think about uh, the country music in his in his background, and you think about when he came up playing professionally in the early and mid 1960s uh the beatles was every much it was it was very much a part of his everyday musical makeup just as much as the modern jazz quartet or charlie parker so as a young man in his late teens and early 20s to be influenced by what's going on in popular culture it it, it just is what it is you know there's there's no lack of integrity from being influenced by what's around you is how you filter that into making your own artistic and creative statement. And to be not only be able to do that with his own group, but then also be able to play with Stan Getz. And, uh, you know, the, his uh, musical versatility uh, is, is, speaks for itself. You know, he, he's just been a, a very much a musical titan all through these years. And I'm, I'm very uh, honored that I've had a chance to play with him um, you know, on recordings and being on tour with him. Uh, just such a great guy and a great musician.
7: Well, and I know with his quartet he does, he has a, a bass player and with the drum and the guitar, but he's also spent a lot of time with piano players. Why Why does the vibraphone and the piano meld together so beautifully?
8: When you think of his collaborations, particularly with Chick Corea, um, the, that particular... Uh, pairing those two together has have been one of the greatest uh, the the sound that that duo creates. I think has been one of the greatest sounds in the history of jazz. So I don't know what it is about the vibes and the piano, but you really do get the sense that you're being lifted. Just the the sound, the, the lushness of the uh, the way that the bars of the vibraphone. Uh, meld with the the piano. It's just a, such a beautiful, beautiful sound.
7: And you said you have had the the pleasure of, of performing with him as well.
8: Uh, yes, It was uh, just uh, two years ago with the Mac Avenue Super Band. Um, I spoke to Pat Matheny on the phone. Pat and I and I Pat and I keep in touch quite a bit. And Pat says, "I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen." I said, "What's going to happen?" He says. When the tour starts, he said, how long is the tour? I said, it's basically about four months. He said, okay, Gary's going to start out great, and by the by the third month of the tour, your jaw is going to be hanging on the floor because it's going to be amazing to see a guy who's already great get greater. And uh, Pat said, I never understood how he has this thing that just – the, the more he plays, it just gets scarier and scarier by the day. And, uh, there's actually proof of this. If you, there's a YouTube clip of the Mack Avenue Superband playing at the Detroit Jazz Festival in the summer of 2014. You know, when we played that gig in Detroit, you could say Gary Burton was a Ferrari. Uh, but by the time we got three months into that tour, he was a, uh, jet propulsion aston martin decked out with uh, uh titanium you know pipes and i mean it was just like amazing to watch how a great musician could just get greater by the day so um and and then he has this 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 great sense of humor like it's not a big deal you know this man will will, will play the 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 crap out of the vibes and then just kind of look at you and smile and be like oh it was nothing <laughs> you know so uh what a what a what a great spirit Gary is,
7: so we have to hope that he doesn't retire, and you come out here and join him, and you both come back to Indianapolis again soon and there you go perform for all of us
8: you know what you we know what we might you know what we should do uh let's give Gary about six months, maybe eight months we'll let him let him get his rest, you know, and then we'll send him a recording of like a new vibraphonist who says, like, uh, hey, hey, Gary, check this guy out, this young dude. He says he says you're not really that good, man. He says you can't play. And uh, he said he wants to challenge you to a vibe-off. You know, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens.
7: I like that idea. We'll see if
8: we can prod him, you know. <laughs> hey, man, this guy's talking mess about you, man. Gary, you got to come back out here and set the record straight.
7: Now, Christian has made several visits to Indianapolis with his band, and he also hosted the uh, APA Jazz Fellowship Finals. He wants to come back to Indy. In fact, we were talking that maybe he and Gary could get together and come back and make a trip to Indy. Sweet. That would be a wonderful performance for all of their fans, for sure. I love that. Well, and if they do that, you'll hear
1: all about it on our calendar, we call what We, we do. do. Speaking of great music, uh, how about the great music of tomorrow? You can see tomorrow's stage, screen, and TV stars in the making on Saturday, July 22nd, when talented high school age vocalists from across the nation perform and compete in the annual Songbook Academy Finals at the Center for the Performing Arts. There are 40 finalists, uh, hailing from New York, California, Indiana, and just about every place else in this great nation. They've been selected from among hundreds of applicants to spend a a rigorous, life-changing week this summer at the Center for the Performing Arts, and you can see them perform on July 22nd. More information
7: available about all
1: that at thecenterfortheperformingarts.org. There's a wonderful
7: exhibit underway at the IMA right now, and I got a chance to look at it over the Memorial Day weekend. It's the Elegance from the East, New Insights from Old Porcelain. And this is a collection but uh, from Dr. Shirley Mueller. She is a retired neurologist um, with the IU uh, Medical Center, and she has collected porcelain from the 1400s to the present day, and she shares them. And the, the exhibit is actually in Oldfields, the Lily House, up on the second floor, and the really interesting part of this collection is Shirley also explains how your brain reacts to this exhibit as you take in the history, the colors, and it's just a wonderful experience of art and science. I highly encourage anyone to take a little bit of time, pay a visit to the IMA, and make sure you, you take a look at this Elegance from the East, New Insights from Old Porcelain, now open at the Indianapolis Museum of Art.
1: This coming Saturday, June 10th, you can hear Smith Murphy with Tim Wright at the Lederkrantz Performance Center. That's 1417 East Washington Street. You've probably driven right by it and not noticed it. Um, Family-friendly music for everybody. For ticket information, call 317-782-9216.
7: Well, if you do need more, we have more for you on the local arts and events guide at the indiearts.org slash guide. That's the Arts Council of Indianapolis's arts guide. Or you can join us again next week when we take a look at our cal- calendar that we call What do we, we, do.
0: we Do. You're listening to The Art of the Matter, a weekly show about the arts in Indianapolis and central Indiana. Your host is Sharon Gamble. If your arts organization has an event or activity of which you think we should be aware, please contact us at least three weeks in advance. You can write us at The Art of the Matter, care of WFYI, 1630 North Meridian Street, Indianapolis, Indiana, 46202, or you can email us at aotm at wfyi.org. You can also hear The Art of the Matter on wfyi.org.
1: You're listening to The Art of the Matter on 90.1 WFYI Public Radio. I'm Sharon Gamble, and in just a bit, we choreograph a trip to India. But right now, let's talk about the bassoon. The bassoon has, well, a reputation. It's one of the most difficult instruments to learn, and then there are the jokes. What do you call a bassoonist with just one reed? An optimist. How do you get two bassoons in tune? Shoot one. And yet, our city is home to Rocky Bassoon, an ensemble of six players who build themselves as a bassoon rock band. And if that's not unusual enough, they play to raise money for good causes. WFYI's Eric Hartvig was intrigued enough to file this report.
9: Uh, our next song is by a group called Metallica. <laughs>
10: Let's play name that instrument. Who said the bassoon? To the listeners who did. Well, congratulations. You're definitely a nerd. Doing crazy
9: day. Excited.
10: Today I'm hanging with the all bassoon band, Rocky Bassoon.
9: Uh, so we're at the uh, very groovy
10: and hip Grove House. This isn't the average run-of-the-mill, six-person, all-bassoon band that you're used to hearing about. This is where all the really hip events in Fountain Square
9: happen. That's right. Our name is Rocky Bassoon, and we play uh, rock and roll songs on the bassoon.
10: Last year's Tonic Ball featured a Beatles stage. Matt Gutwein, who does have a day job as CEO of Health and Hospital of Marion County, had a suggestion to help Tonic raise more money for second helpings. The only thing that could make the Tonic ball better is if it had a bassoon band. (laughs) And it was purely a joke. The joke quickly became a reality. Matt managed to pull together every bassoon rock star he knew. (laughs) To form Rocky Bassoon. There's Mark.
11: Hi, I'm uh, Mark Ortwein. I'm one of the bassoonists in Rocky Bassoon. And Mike. My name is Mike Musinski. Uh, This is my bassoon here. They've all got numbers. Mine's 9632, which means that it was built in 1952, which is the same year as my dad, which I
12: I thought was kind of nice.
10: These guys are players in the Indianapolis Symphony, often joined by the up-and-coming player Diana Ortega.
12: Hi, my name is Diana. This is my bassoon. It's named Charlie Bassoon.
10: Also in the group, Doug a music professor at Butler.
6: So my name is Doug Spaniel. This is my bassoon. It doesn't have a name. I'm boring like that. How's my hair?
10: And Kelly Swinson, who doesn't do interviews, but does do Jimmy Page solos on a bassoon.
6: Can you talk about the shy bassoonists we have in the group? <laughs> yeah, that would be Kelly Swenson, now one of Indianapolis's top freelance professional bassoonists. And even if she is a bit shy,
10: everybody, I'm assuming, when they go into music, starts out wanting to play the bassoon. <laughs>
12: exactly. Do
10: you think the bassoons may be an underrated rock instrument? Oh,
12: absolutely. <laughs> I love it.
6: Uh, underrated instrument, yes. Rock instrument, I'm not even sure if it qualifies. <laughs> Though it
10: may not be considered a traditional rock instrument, the sound tells a different story. One of the things that makes our little bassoon band uh, a little bit unique
9: is most of the time we play uh, amplified, we play hooked up. We will play with effects pedals and so it's this very, you know, loud rock-and-roll bassoon, and so I'm not sure that
10: anybody's doing that in the country. Matt Gutwine says he's just happy they let him be in the group. You sound a lot better without me. <laughs> he doesn't think he's good enough. It's an upgrade. You have to be pretty damn good at the bassoon to hang not, with them at all, no, right? No, I'm not. I'm not. To all the other members of the band, this is a load of bassoon BS.
9: I was like the guy who had the amp that they wanted, you know. uh, But it goes to 11, right? It goes to 11, right. My amp goes to 11.
10: (laughs) Mike Musinski of the ISO assures he is amazing.
11: I mean, when I met him, he said, Hey, my name's Matt Gutwein. I I play bassoon, but I haven't really been playing for 37 years, so uh, don't critique me too hard. I was like, okay, this is going to be... Is this gonna be terrible? Like, what's gonna happen here? And he started playing, I was like, wow, this guy's brilliant.
10: Mark Ortwine is the man who knows all about amping up all these woodwinds. It's a pickup that I, it goes on to vocal of the bassoon.
11: Then I can go through pedals and...
10: Pretty cool. A pickup is attached to the bocal. So you added the pickup to, what is this called again? called the vocal vocal okay
11: this picks up all the the vibrations and the, the pitch and everything this would be just a normal bassoon sound
9: he also has an effects pedal so it's like I'm playing fifths with myself
11: And then I can add even more. This adds distortion.
10: It's hard to believe that the bassoon is usually taken lightly.
11: Like in in all the old cartoons, the most comical parts were usually given to the bassoon. We're kind of the clown of the orchestra. They call this the farting
10: bedpost. Now, this may seem a little too lowbrow for the typical NPR listener, But if you're still here we know you're cool diana ortega says this group is a dream come true
1: i've always dreamed of playing in a rock band actually i love making music and when i play my bassoon and i play with these guys it feels like something from another world it's just magical
10: rocky bassoon is just getting started on their journey of charity fundraising and face rocking be sure to keep an eye on them as I remain hopeful that the bassoon will rise in the ranks of Rockton, I'm Eric Hartvig, for The Art of the
1: Matter. WFYI's Eric Hartvig with Rocky Bassoon. Learn more, if you dare, by searching Rocky Bassoon on Facebook, where you can see Eric's video of the group. Oh, and that's spelled rock, R-O-C-K, E, period, bassoon. There's something about India that keeps drawing artist Gregory Hancock back to its vibrant landscape and culture. After arriving home to Carmel, Indiana last December after his seventh trip to India, Gregory realized he still has more to say about Indian culture as a choreographer and a storyteller. The result is Gregory Hancock Dance Theater's A Night in India. I invited Gregory and longtime colleague and artistic advisor Christine Colquitt-Thacker to talk about the concert. Gregory, what in India is drawing you back again and again? You went for the seventh time not too long ago?
13: Yep, I think it's been my seventh time there. Um, I've just, well, I've always been fascinated with India, the culture of India, the art, the music, the people, the history, the spirituality, and it just kind of keeps drawing me back. And my company, Gregory Hancock Dance Theater, uses a lot of Indian-themed programming, so Mm -hmm. I just keep going back to get more inspiration.
1: How did that start? Where did you do you remember now what your first attraction Um, was?
13: my, My first trip to India was through a Creative Renewal Fellowship that sent me to India to study um, classical dance of India and music. and But my fascination, uh, maybe 15 years ago goes, or, or more, I just kind of became fascinated with Bollywood movies and the music and how danceable the music was and that people weren't using that music with contemporary or ballet kind of movements. So I, I wanted to create this fusion of classical dance styles and form with East and West together yes. and... Mm-hmm. sort of went from there.
1: And Christine, you I'm going to ask you this because you're close but not as close as as right. um himself here. Um what do you see changing mm. as with each of these trips? What do you see evolving in, in Gregory's style?
12: Well, um, you know, I was there in the beginning uh, with Gregory and his, his starting to dabble with India. And we actually, we offered classical dance of India in our workshops even, you know, 17 years ago when we, when we started doing this. And so I was at the origins of his choreography. And what I'm seeing with more trips coming back is a deeper and deeper layering as to um, what he sees in India, what he wants to give back to the community here, to, to bring to them from his trips. It, you know, it started with just the musicality of it. And uh, with each piece that he's created over the years, he's digging deeper and deeper into the layers and the many cultural aspects of India. And it's been fascinating for me because it's always an educational experience working mm-hmm. with Gregory. I've always learned so much and continued my own you know interest and curiosity. But I, I see depth. I see more depth with every trip he comes back there's there's a deeper level of spirituality to the to the work that he's presenting
1: that's funny because I was going to guess having seen a lot of your work over the years that it was this if you had to rank which of those elements you ticked off the colors the the music it might be the spirituality that is the the real driver
13: yeah i I think that with with all my work it's kind of the spirituality behind pieces and the music I like finding music that has that sense of spirituality even within the music and then to bring that out in the story or the dance or so kind of that's always been been a major draw.
1: And you wear multiple hats. You're a, an artistic director, a choreographer, costumer, set designer. Um, How... Ha- how do you switch gears among all those? Um,
13: for me, I, I don't switch gears. I like to think of it all as one connected job in a way. I, I'm kind of one of those artists that has that complete vision of what I want the piece to look like, to feel like, to sound like, to be lit like, to be costumed. And and I like um, combining all those elements. To me, it's someone asked me um, what's my favorite part of those things, and I really don't have a favorite. I, I like all of it because it's, it's just, for me, part of the same thing. Yeah. The costuming, the choreography, the, the music, the direction, the staging, it's all just connected.
1: Is there a story arc to A Night in India?
13: Um, there there's several pieces. In, in this concert, I've tried to include more musical genres of India, which is impossible because the country is so vast and there's so many musical styles. And But I've tried to include a little more from um, a more um, religious, spiritual kind of Shiva's Tandava dance to some folk, folk music of Rajasthan, um, some Bollywood style things. There's one piece that has a more of a story um, sort of inspired by the partition of India. Um, so there's there is a arc in a, in the whole entire piece, but several pieces together. I think six or seven pieces in the entire concert.
1: Do you have a favorite moment in this concert yet?
12: I do. I do. And and when you asked about the storyline, you know, Gregory's a prolific storyteller. And as a dancer, what I enjoyed the most was being a part of his vision for those stories. Um, and he does have a, a piece uh, entitled Shattered that is extremely powerful to watch and has a storyline involved. And as a dancer, I am envious of the current dancers in the company who are who are able to partake in that and, and was incredibly moved. Moved, incredibly moved uh, when I saw the end of it. And it's, it's, a, it's a relatively short uh, story arc as opposed to our larger story ballets like Hunchback of Notre Dame or Superhero. Um, but it's extremely powerful in its message and it, it blew me away. Gregory
1: Hancock and Christine Colquitt-Thacker. You can see Gregory Hancock Dance Theaters a night in India at the Tarkington at the Center for the Performing Arts on Friday, June 9th or Saturday, June 10th. An Indian market in the lobby will offer interesting items so you can take home a souvenir of the concert. Learn more at Gregory Hancock Dance Theatre. Org. Every week, a cultural manifesto's Kyle Long talks five songs with someone from our community. Here's this week's journey.
11: I'm Kyle Long from Cultural Manifesto, and I'm here with the Indianapolis-based rapper Diop Adisa. Diop has a new album out titled Flow Flexin', and it's available now on iTunes, Amazon, and Bandcamp. Diop, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you. You
14: have five songs to share with us? Yeah, so the first one is Odyssey. It's by Odyssey, and it's called Afterthoughts. Um, And it's a beautiful instrumental. Uh, Odyssey's a great artist, but he's really a great musician as well, and this is one of his tracks that I've loved for years.
11: Yeah, he makes beats, he rhymes, he has a band, he's amazing all-around talent in hip-hop music.
14: Yeah. second song dear. uh red bone by childish gambino um i love that song and i also am, i'm big on parliament funkadelic and this album that this song is on is reflective of those principles Number three, uh, March Madness by Future. Um, this song always gets me amped up. I love the beat. I think it's Future's best song ever, so I always play it regularly.
8: Mm-hmm.
11: And your fourth selection, Uh,
14: Cranes in the Sky by Solange. Um, I think uh, her project Seat at the Table was just magnificent and this song is just beautiful. The writing on it is poetic.
5: I tried to drink it away I tried to put one in the air I tried to dance it away I tried to change it with my hair I ran my credit card below Thought a new dress would make it better I tried to work it away But that just made me even sadder Keep myself busy I ran around circles Think i make myself dizzy I slipped it away
11: And your final song for us today, Dio
14: uh, Mortal Man by Kendrick Lamar I think that's one of the best hip-hop songs I've ever heard In terms of how real and honest and uh, transparent it is about a lot of the things we deal with Do you believe in me? How much you believe in her? You think she gon' stick around if them 25 years occur? You think he gon' hold you down when you down beyond bars hurt? You think y'all on common ground if you promise to be the first? Can you be immortalized without your life being expired? Even though y'all shed the same blood, is it worth the time? Like, who got your best interest? Like, how much are you dependent? How clutch are the people that say they love you and who pretended? How tough is your skin when they turn you in? Do you show forgiveness? What brush do you bend with dust on your shoulders from being offended? What kind of den did they put you when the lions start hissing what kind of bridge do they burn revenge on your mind when it's mentioned you wanna love like Nosey you wanna be like Nosey you wanna walk in his shoes but your peacemaking
11: soul and Diop as I mentioned you have a new album out with producer Mandog it's titled Flow Flexin and, and one of the things I really love about you as an artist as an MC is your ability to kind of balance a lot of uh, thematic material and, and you, you put a lot of uh, social content in your lyrics and you you told me you have a phrase for that you call it knowledge nuggets right <laughs> knowledge nuggets. tell us about your, your these knowledge nuggets and your artistry as a lyricist
14: got you so yeah i call them knowledge nuggets because i always like to sprinkle in uh, different subject matters or different thought-provoking ideas that may relate to a variety of pieces that to our social fabric but i don't want it to feel like um teaching or lecturing or preaching i want it to feel like you're just vibing to the music but if you kind of tune your in your ear to some of the things i'm saying you get a knowledge nugget you know what i mean you can take that and share with someone or discuss with someone and then maybe if i see you i run into you we can talk about it
11: so. and where can folks hear your music
14: online uh do? you can check me out at diopmusic.com
11: thank you man appreciate it
1: Hear Kyle's A Cultural Manifesto on 90.1 WFYI Public Radio Wednesday nights at 8 or Saturday nights at 10. Thanks for listening to The Art of the Matter on 90.1 WFYI Public Radio. I'm Sharon Gamble, and today's contributors included Jill Dittmeyer and Eric Hartfig. You can hear The Art of the Matter Saturday mornings at 7 or join us Thursday nights at 8. And remember, you can always listen to and share our podcast at WFYI.org. Next week, Heron School of Art and Design summer exhibits, the storefront theater, and a new kind of house concert. And of course, we'll have that arts calendar we call What will we, we Do? All of that and so much more on The Art of the Matter here on 90.1 WFYI Public Radio.
0: You've been listening to The Art of the Matter, a weekly show about the arts in central Indiana and Indianapolis. The Art of the Matter is executive producer Roxana Caldwell, producer Melissa Davis, contributor Jill Dittmeyer, and host Sharon Gamble. The Art of the Matter, made possible by the ongoing support of listeners like you.